Rural hospitals have been and still are thought of by some as not always necessary and not always providing the highest quality care, even after the role rural hospitals played in the COVID-19 pandemic, serving as a lifeline to patients who desperately needed care. So how do rural hospitals make their case for the important role they play and promote funding models to support long-term financial stability? With constant attention to policy issues, collaboration with peer hospitals, and a willingness to advocate. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 74 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we know that rural hospitals face significant financial strain to the point of closure for more than 140 hospitals since uh, 2010. And we had various speakers in the last few months, uh, including Scott Becker, talking about the closure of many many others uh, in the very near the future. high risk and immediate risk. Yeah. That's a, quite a long hundreds list. Hundreds and hundreds of hospitals. So uh, today we're going to dive back into this very important topic, uh, which in large part was what inspired Rural Health Rising. That's right. And we are talking to someone who lives and breathes this every day and is very passionate about articulating these issues. That's right. Our guest today is David Usher, Chief Financial Officer at Ray County Memorial Hospital in Richmond, Missouri. Uh, welcome to Rural Health Rising, David. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be with you. So to start, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Ray County Memorial Hospital? Okay, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm really not from around here. I was born in the UK. I'm English. Um, I moved to the U.S. about 23 years ago. Give or take. Um, I actually cut my teeth in the UK brewing and drinks industry, which obviously fits wow. closely into healthcare. I came to the US. My wife is a US, was born in the US. Um, and we moved here. I worked for an industrial boiler manufacturer in Milwaukee for a few years and, and stumbled into healthcare when I was on vacation in Colorado. Went to see my in laws and Kind of like the area they're in on the western slope of the Rockies, pretty area. Um, the local hospital was looking for a, at that time, I think a, a staff accountant or something. I thought, hell, that sounds like a great job. <laughs> yeah, in a beautiful place. <laughs> I kind of fell in love with rural America and got into rural healthcare. And I've been working in you know New Mexico, Wisconsin a couple of times, Kansas, Colorado twice. So I moved around a little bit, and uh, I'm now in Missouri. And another than three years in a, a physician-owned um, facility in, in New Mexico, it was a, a for-profit facility, which was a really interesting experience, i got to say. I've been mm -hmm. pretty exclusive to rural critical access hospitals. Mm -hmm. Ray County Memorial Hospital is a critical access hospital. It's located in northwest Missouri, about 30 miles northeast of Kansas City and thereabouts. Um, three other critical access hospitals within 25 miles. Oh. Um, mm. lo loads of healthcare in Kansas City, obviously. Um, hmm. 25,000 population within our catchment area, which is absolutely fascinating for a, a small hospital. It's way out, of, way out of line with anything else I've seen. Um, hmm. We have 200 employees. We provide all the usual services. Um, 
uh, it's still a recently updated campus. It's really a good place to be. Um, it presents some very different challenges, frankly, from what I'm used to seeing in small town rural hospitals. You know, David, now that uh, we've kind of established your background and uh, what you do uh, as a chief financial officer, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. And and I want to know, what is your why? Uh, What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the job that you do? Because I want to tell you, being a CFO in today's times, uh, and then to be a CFO at a, a hospital and then a CFO at a rural hospital, uh, that has been described as uh, probably one of the most challenging uh, jobs uh, in the industry right now. So what is your why? Well, I was brought up and trained as an accountant. And, and accountants don't generally don't get a chance to do good things. They, we're we're <laughs> buried in figures. We're, we're worried about profit. We're worried about return on investment. Um, but to actually get to impact things, I mean, the last two years have been exceptionally Mm-hmm. exceptionally good example of how much impact somebody in my position can make. I, I, I can help keep the doors open for these community hospitals. And, and I mean, I actually get to make a contribution to the community. I feel like it's tangible. I, I, I can feel it. I can touch it every day of what, I, what I'm actually contributing, even if I'm not laying hands on the patient or, or seeing the patient sometimes. Um I guess I fell into rural healthcare by accident, and I stay here by choice. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity uh, to help our communities. And I, you know, Rachel and I at times, you know, we just say it's God's work uh, because this is kind of a mission field here. And uh, the work that we do isn't famous, it's not popular, um, but it's so necessary in our respective, uh, and, and I don't know what your payer mix is, but, you know, we, we are a very poor community here in Hillsdale County. Uh, and that's typically what we find a rural America. So uh, it's tr- it's truly a mission field for many of us, and it sounds like it is for you as well. So, David, let's talk about uh, the serious problem that we have uh, that needs urgent exposure and attention. Uh, so, in your experience, how are rural hospitals being seen by decision makers, uh, and what makes that a little dangerous? Well, I think they just see us as one. Maybe the hospital is a hospital. Healthcare is healthcare. I think they they struggle to, to differentiate between a rural hospital and an urban hospital, between a for-profit and a not-for-profit, even between a county hospital and a, and a tax district or a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the, the differences are tangible. They really are. Um, I don't think they really comprehend rural. I don't know whether that's... I mean, it's, it's easy to, to point to politicians. I, I spend a little time with politicians and I yeah. find them to be extremely frustrating people to work with generally. They don't understand. <laughs> um, Very true. Uh, media reporting is, is it's more important what the media reports than the truth. Mm-hmm. I, I work as closely as I'm able to with health leaders and with, with modern healthcare and with other people in, in, in our business. But when you get outside of that, they're looking for sensationalism. They're looking for a sexy story. True. Where a hospitals ripped off some poor soul who, who can't afford it, um, and then that really is is a great concern to me because that, that's I'm sure there are hospitals out there that are doing that. Well, we're not doing that. We're Correct. trying very hard not to do that. Right now, I, I don't need to make a lot of money out of everything I do. Just enough money to keep the doors open. That's right. I see a lot of stuff that talks about 
credit crisis hospital and how bad cost based reimbursement is and how mm-hmm. expensive it is. And, and those of us in the business know very well that's not true. Uh, convincing politician or a journalist that that's not the case is, is proving very difficult. Very much so. And, and it takes people way more eloquent than me to, to make an impact in, in those situations. Um, I had a discussion with a guy who's actually a sitting US senator, and we won't mention any names. He's actually a doctor. And he just could not conceptually understand what I was telling him about. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we often have that same response, David, uh, when we're speaking with our congressional friends, you know, because it's such a fascinating and diverse industry. It's not like, you know, as they can, you know, just have an opportunity to go in and tour a factory that's making certain parts that has a supply and a demand. And if, you know, there is a higher supply, they can raise the price. Mm-hmm. And if they have a higher price uh, per you know unit, they can raise the price. And I was having that same discussion a few months ago, just about the complexities of when the supply chain shifts for us and we get charged more. David, are we able to charge our patients more? No, it, it, we can't shift the cost. And so those are the challenges I think you and I face uh, in our roles is it's hard to explain that because in the free market economy, it's simple. Well, all right, the, the candy bar, which was a dollar is now dollar twenty-five because it costs more. Well, we can't charge 10 more thousand dollars for a surgery and get that reimbursement back from the federal and state government. And so to your point, it, it is very frustrating at times. Uh, to have those discussions because of the complexity of healthcare, um, but it sounds like you know, it, it, in specific to your region, uh, you're having those conversations. You're a critical access hospital that I would say doing remarkably well in you know consideration of what's happening around us. So hats off to you and your team at providing that much needed service in your community. Because one thing that we have to remember is it's about access for our patients. And to your point, David, congratulations, staying open during COVID and finding a mission and a passion to take care of our patients. Wasn't that what it was all about? Throw the political rhetoric away, throw the conversation away, but it's providing that that location and those amazing great services. So congratulations to you and uh, your hospital for that work. Well, and let's talk a little bit too about the, so that that perception that we've seen for a long time of you know, rural hospitals are really not necessarily seen as a an absolute necessity for a community. It's seen like as if it's as if it's a nice to have, right? Um, but you know, during COVID, I would hope that um, you know there. I know I saw we saw more attention on rural hospitals mm-hmm. because the need was so much greater. Um, for beds and, uh, you know, especially in urban communities, shipping out patients to rural hospitals in the, the outskirts or the of their areas or even farther out because they literally had nowhere else to send them. Um, rural hospitals kind of stood in the gap during COVID-19 for our own communities, but also in certain circumstances for larger health systems and for urban individuals. Um, so how do you think that work during the pandemic that rural hospitals have done how do you think that's changed the perception of our policymakers? If it has, are we making any progress? I think it's changed the perception of some. It's it's on you guys doing the stuff you do, me doing whatever small part I can play in it to make sure they understand that. 
Um, I think we have made a huge difference in the last yeah. couple of years. Uh, there's no question. We have saved lives where people were in, in danger of, of not making it. We have made it. We've had people on ventilators in this hospital and, and in my other hospitals. That's not something that critical access hospitals are ever really built mm-hmm. to do. Um, we've done it. And we've proved that we're actually an integral part of the health system. Right. Uh, and that we need to exist. Now, you're right. I just, all we can do is sell our stories um, and, and push. And Royal Health Rising is one of those things that's doing it. There are others out there. The National Royal Health Association is doing a great job for us. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to keep pushing. Yeah. And keep pushing that envelope. If we get the message across well enough, it'll stay high. I think the one problem with COVID is, is the politicization of COVID has Correct. Mm-hmm. made it a very difficult message to get across because half the people haven't mentioned COVID just turn off and move the other direction. Mm-hmm. But I think we've done, as a, as a health system, small rural health system, if you want to call it that, we have done a great job in saving lives and doing what we get paid to do. Absolutely. And so, you know, all around us, and, and I'm sure you get... A tremendous amount of resources and information from Beckers and others. Uh, and you can't open one of those emails or read an article and not see, you know, the, the downgrades of bonds, uh, the Fitch, you know, giving uh, basically their review of, you know, deteriorating uh, hospital systems. And these are, you know, for you and I, you know, at, at the leadership level, this this is some life-changing information because, you know, not only are we providing healthcare services, but we're most likely in our respective communities, some of the largest employers. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thought of closure, the thought of a merger where the services are reduced uh, is quite alarming. But, you know, I guess I want to ask you, as a CFO for a critical access hospital, what keeps you up at night? when it comes to the funding aspect of it, you know, we had the CARES Act, the ARPA funding, um, and those helped, you know, some are arguing that it created a, uh, artificial, you know, uh, cash flow and, uh, created a ceiling that, you know, unfortunately a year later, uh, some are arguing it kept places open longer than it should have. Uh, and so there's all kinds of arguments and thoughts out there. And we know that it helped us. I mean, PPP was was a lifesaver for us. And uh, certainly, you know, looking at some of the payments that the government gave us in advance payments, um, you know, but the CARES Act, ARPA, all of these PPP, they're not long-term. So as a CFO, David, what keeps you up at night? Exactly that. Um, this year, we still got COVID money. We've still got the ability to use that. And it, there's no question. It kept doors open in, in hospitals that would not have made it through this panel. No question. Um, Say that this one would have done, others I've been with would have, would have struggled to stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no question. Um, but I'm working budget. This is a, a facility that has a, a 1031 fiscal year end, which I've no idea why. Um, <laughs> so I'm working next year's budget now. Mm-hmm. Where's the money coming from to make up for my lost revenues? Because right. the revenues have not come back Correct. in a meaningful way then. It's getting better. We're working at it really hard to, to try and find better ways of doing stuff, but it's not back. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where does that come from? Um, if you had the impact of inflation over the last 12 months or so, we, we, are, we are taking a hammer mm-hmm. uh, on so many fronts. 
and there's no say there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. I always believe we can we can get by. We mm-hmm. just have to find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's going to be difficult because we don't have that to lean on. You know, David, could I ask you uh, what what does recruitment look like for you? Is is that a challenge for your critical access hospital of physicians or you know services? Yeah. So it's a massive challenge, yeah. um, particularly from the, the nursing perspective. Mm-hmm. We have so much competition, so many hospitals that are prepared to pay a lot of money for labouring in Kansas City, particularly. Um, it's really hard to keep people. Um, yeah, we like to think we're a great place to work. We can sell that, but there's a, there's a limit to this thing. I'm seeing some easing of agency costs and things like that. Not massively, but definitely easing a little. It, it's you know, We've been running on um, temporary labor in our lab for a long time. Yeah, I've never seen that in another hospital. Mm-hmm. No. That's, so it's, it's a stretch, and just down to replacing housekeepers, yeah. maintenance guys. Is a struggle. It's a stretch. Um, so this is a place where we have an awful, awfully large number of employees who've been here a lot of years, 20, 30, 40 year employees. So it's a great place to work. It's an important employer in the community. We're not the biggest in the community, but as you say, we're close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, labor is a stretch for us. Yeah. And, and the labor market is a, a disruptor to, to our business, no question. And it's not even uh, comparing hospital to hospital. We're competing here with distribution centers for, you know, major uh, manufacturing companies uh, and chain stores. We're competing, believe it or not, with gas stations and with Walmart uh, for... I can't believe it. We're competing with... Yeah. McDonald's and yeah. mm-hmm. for yeah. entry level positions. I mean, they're they're showing you know hanging signs in their window at you know twenty dollars an hour and you know fifteen hundred dollar bonus sign on and uh, you know that's it's just a very difficult market. It sounds like it's the same thing for you in Missouri. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I think to your point, competing with these larger hospitals and, you know, even with the travel agencies, and we really got on our soapbox about that several episodes ago, um, about how just totally unacceptable the lack of action uh, on that price gouging was. <laughs> 220 an hour, Rachel, 225. I mean, just Come on. completely outrageous. And no one seems to have batted an eye at it no. from a regulatory no. or legislative perspective. No. Um, So that's, you know, another topic for another Another episode. But, um, you know, with that, those issues competing with the larger hospitals, we're even seeing now that these larger hospitals and large systems are posting bond ratings and credit downgrades and all of these things happening, as well as these multi-million, sometimes tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in losses, quarterly losses for some of these major hospital systems it, it makes me think two different things. My first like gut reaction is now you know what it feels like <laughs> to live in a world where financial stability is not an easy thing to achieve. Um, and then on the other hand, it makes me think, isn't it nice to be able to have a loss of that many millions of dollars hmm. and not have to literally shut your doors? You know, and yeah. in rural, we don't have that kind of luxury no. to book losses like that quarter after quarter after no, quarter and no. still stay open and still provide care to our patients. Um, 
And then, you know, when I think about that, I just think of the the regulatory issues of how, um, you know, larger hospitals have a voice in the the federal government and in their state governments as they advocate for their interests, just as we attempt to advocate for ours. And I think what we've seen, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, is that some regulations may be designed to target bad practices of larger hospitals, and those regulations can end up creating problems for smaller hospitals. In addition, some regulations can be crafted to support larger hospitals and in turn hurt rural hospitals. So can you give us some examples of some of the issues you've seen that it's it appears that this was aimed at curtailing a, a practice or at um, somehow repairing an issue for larger hospitals that has, in effect, been a detriment to those of us who are in small and rural healthcare. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd be no surprise if I started talking about no surprises and yeah. um, price transparency. Yeah. It's not something small hospitals, it's not a problem small hospitals create. We really do not have Aside of maybe helicopter rides and things like that that we initiate, but it's not us that's making the discharging the patient. Everything else we do, our, our prices are not surprising. Um, we don't have, tend to have the out-of-network issues and in-network mm-hmm. issues within a, a small hospital. So the, the No Surprises Act and price transparency is just driven. How do I present that in any way, shape, or form without a fair, fair amount of expensive expertise to help me do it. I don't have the resources to do that no. myself. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm a smart enough guy, but the, the requirements that they're, they're piling into this thing really to satisfy politicians for, for some bad actors in our, our industry um, mm-hmm. is killing us. The rural emergency hospitals are, are a solution created by politicians again. And supported, sadly, by, by some of our other institutions. Um, CMS will tell you that rural emergency hospitals, they don't expect it to be more than 50 or 60 in the country. So right. yeah. it's so nothing. I haven't been in a hospital that I think would work with that model. And yeah. I've been in small hospitals. The other thing that really hurts me here, and you know, when, you, when you come from... South Central rural Kansas, um, you do not see Medicare Advantage plans very often. If you see mm-hmm. one in your county, it's got maybe 10 members. Um, you can live with that. I'm mm-hmm. now in an area where a good percentage of my Medicare business is Medicare Advantage. Yeah. Well, these people do not settle up on a cost report. I have to get my revised rates really quickly, otherwise they won't pay me. And I'm already a year behind on those because that's how the system works. Mm-hmm. Um, they're forcing pre-approval, pre-authorization on us. They're paying us less than they should pay us. It's, they're way smarter than we are. They have way more invested mm-hmm. in stopping payment and not paying than I can possibly invest in making it. Mm-hmm. Um, those three things alone keep me awake at Mm-hmm. I can solve some of them, but it takes money and resources. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some signature legislative pieces that um, I watch and I monitor very closely. And and so I'm going to go a little off of our outline here. Uh, you know, for me, 340B, 
for me, it's a low volume adjustment. For me, I've got, you know, several things that I look at that it just like, wow, if that comes true or if that does not get extended, the impact to my hospital is devastating. What what one legislative piece right now, David, is something you're watching very closely and that you are either trying to champion or argue for, against? Can you share that with us? 340B is, is one of the things that's always been something I was very, very driven by. The nature of what we do here doesn't actually impact us very much. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't actually employ any of our own physicians. That's just the way this hospital works. And in some ways, that's great. Otherwise, that's a, a real problem because mm-hmm. I don't have any control over the end result time. Um, yeah. So 340B is something I, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years pushing the back on really any opportunity to talk to a politician about it and explain it that banging my head against the brick wall there. I don't have the kind of money that the drug companies yeah. can put up to um, mm-hmm. push back on 340B. It's, it's a very good point. I mean, it's such an important program for rural hospitals. It is. So this mm-hmm. one doesn't benefit from it. Um, we'll probably do some work in the next couple of months to benefit what we can, but it's mm-hmm. really not a lucrative. But I came from a hospital with a three or 400,000 bottom line benefit from 340B. That mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. doesn't make three or four hundred thousand a year. Right. That, that right. money was critical. Critical. It's the difference between it being break even and it being a loss making hospital. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 340B would be one of the really strong things. Um, I, I'm always nervous that we're going to start taking a look at cost base. And I, I think uh, medical advantage is a backdoor way of removing cost space. Mm-hmm. Most of what I'm concerned about that's going on is I feel like we need to have people better informed mm-hmm. of the damage that they, they do by inactivity and or, or by improper activity. And at the federal level, for the most part, the state levels. And Missouri mm-hmm. is an interesting state for Medicaid. It's never really expanded Medicaid, but we don't provide a tax, um, which eats, eats into a lot and takes a lot of extra work. Um, we've never really seen any of the benefits of Medicaid expansion. There's a million things. There is, and it's just... It's uh, we could sit here for probably two hours and talk about each of them, you know, individually. Um, and, you know, one, one of the things uh, that we shared with you earlier is that we had Scott Becker from Becker's Healthcare uh, here and on our podcast a few times. And during the last, has I been on once? Yeah. Okay. And oh, I've been on his program that yeah. we shared. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we we talked about and this has just been recent you know, the hundreds of hospitals that are at risk of closing. And I I alluded to that uh, early on in this uh, podcast today. But, you know, there is a major concern. Uh, I I do shoulder 600-plus staff members, you know, every day when I consider uh, going to bed at night and saying my prayers of God, give me the wisdom, the strength, the encouragement uh, to be able to ensure, uh, because too much is given, much is required, and I am... Uh, certainly, you know, very cognizant of that. But there are forces beyond you and I. Uh, and I guess I'm going to ask you one of the most loaded questions you're probably going to get. Uh, 
Uh, and that's what do you see as the path forward uh, for rural hospitals? And in that path, what should leaders be doing? What I like to focus is on the way I like to play in the because you can't see it, the up over here is a huge whiteboard, and over here is another huge whiteboard. Mm-hmm. I write things down a lot on whiteboards. I love my whiteboards. Um, <laughs> one of the things on my whiteboard is a list of disruptors that are really bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, they're, they're people who figure out how to do our business better, cheaper, and make money out of it. Yeah. To my simple mind says, if they can do it, why can't I? Uh, mm. We both know there's a set of regulations out there, right? CMS and a whole bunch of other people that actually tell us we can't do some of the things that they're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we have to figure out how we're going to either work with those people, emulate those people, or work with it, get get it get it to work in our favor. I mean, it's it's an easy list. It's you know from Amazon. Uh, good old days, Amazon were, always, were just a concern from an electronic point of view. They go out mm-hmm. and buy one medical. Um, now they have bricks and mortar. Yeah. Every night I see um, adverts on, on TV for Kansas City area from Alton. Oh, yeah. Who are mm-hmm. opening medical clinics and doing mm-hmm. home visits. And mm-hmm. They're not in my area yet, but they're gone. Now, urgent care, we've seen that blossom in rural areas much less than it has in urban areas. Um, but it's coming. And I, I've got a semi, semi-urban area here. I've got a lot of people in working KC who travel out here to mm-hmm. be to live in a nice rural area. And apparently they don't mind traveling half an hour in crazy traffic every day. I'm not sure I understand that anymore. <laughs> um, we've got to start and look at those things and see what we can do. Uh, I was reading the other day about infusion centers. We already know that Davita and people like that exist doing. But they're now talking about having taking infusions in, into a central location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I look at it and wonder why we can't do that. Mm-hmm. I look at this hospital. We have a huge campus. We have plenty of real estate. We have enough money to invest in in, in the future as long as we invest in boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are those are things we just have to do. I think we have to work hard on our lobbying still. We've got people on our side. We, we, we've got to keep working because for every for every good 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 politician out there, there's one who, who hasn't done his homework. <laughs> it's true. What drug company's going to tell him or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, we, we have to do better, mm-hmm. and we have to embrace technology. That's all part of my big driver coming here is what can we automate and move, particularly business office stuff, but it goes across the business. Take people away from computers, away from machines, and put them in front of patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have far more impact with a patient one-on-one than I can any other way. And unfortunately, we've got a trend in healthcare the same people would much rather talk to you by text and much rather engage in apps and we've got to take that into account mm-hmm. too but if that's what yeah. we need to do that's what we need to do and it's I think our industry is in danger of not being modern enough I guess is mm-hmm. simplification mm-hmm. 
Um, we, we've got to modernise what we do. We cannot sit on our hands and say, well, we've always done it this way. It worked fine. Mm-hmm. One, one of the, the charts I have to present at board meetings, which is not my chart. I came here four months ago. Um, it's always been there. There's a chart of the profitability of the business over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it starts off all, all green on the right-hand side 10 years ago. And it's yeah. drifting across through black. To yeah, to the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, w- when I started my tenure here, uh, well over two years now as CEO, but prior to that, I spent a decade in uh, as chief operating officer. But uh, one of within the first week, I assembled our leadership team, and I said, uh, "We're going to have two words that you're going to be able to speak, and this is what's going to drive the organization. It's called a growth strategy." And I'm a firm believer in a biblical principle where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think what we do, David, you and I set and we cast a vision for where we need to be. And, and how I look at my role, when someone asks me, you know, tell me, you're le-, I don't start going into servant leader, which I view myself as. But what I say is I want to be a disruptor. See, everybody asks me, who are the disruptors in, in your world? And I'm going to say, there are a lot, but I want to be a disruptor because I think right now we have got to fight like no one's business to keep rural health. We know what happens. I know what happens. And you may have a different view than I do, uh, but I do not believe in mergers and acquisitions as the opportunity to save healthcare in America. I think it's just the opposite. I think mergers and acquisitions create an environment where it's less service, higher cost, lower quality, and the community suffers. And I'm not sure how you feel about it, but that's how I feel. I feel, same. I feel exactly the same way. I, I want to work in rural hospitals as long as being defended. It doesn't mean you mm-hmm. can't affiliate to, to, right. to an end, have a partnership that's equitable for both parties to, to get right. things done better for the patients. But it does mean you don't have to be controlled by somebody else. And we can't allow big systems to come in here and... no. Cream off all the good business. It's correct because we get left, then we might as well call ourselves a Medicaid hospital or a, a poor yeah. hospital mm-hmm. back, back to the Victorian times. Yeah, or we totally have to shut our doors. And then where are the services impacted the most? Right directly to the patient who cannot get right. the care. In our community, transportation or the lack thereof is a major, major issue. And, you know, the closest hospital, the biggest university hospital uh, is in Ann Arbor for a university hospital. You know, it's an hour and a half away. And for another large health system, 45 minutes to an hour away. Uh, so access is very limited. And so I, I perceive that we have to be disruptors, David, uh, and we have to be bold and we have to have a growth strategy. And it sounds like everything that you're doing at your critical access hospital is to that end. Um, you're doing a remarkable job at, first of all, containing for a locally pandemic, but we move through that. You know, and now it's focused on a business model for sustainability. And uh, having done a little research here, y'all are doing it. And uh, I would encourage you not to lose the faith, uh, to continue and to encourage others in our role Mm -hmm. that, you know, we have to fight. And it is so easy for these golden parachutes like you and I could get in our role if we sell our hospital. 
they'd give us a nice little package for five years and, you know, uh, it would look very attractive. And, and we're not motivated by that. And I can tell from your perspective, you're not either, or you would be at a different place than you are uh, doing the ministry and the work that you do there. So all that to say, continue to fight the good fight. Uh, continue to be an advocate in Missouri, which when you get on the forums like you did to National Rural Health Association and other places, you know, you're carrying a message for us, rural America, so others can hear your voice. So I want to thank you for championing that. I want to thank you for being part of the podcast today. It was great to to hear your perspective in, you know, a state far away from Michigan mm-hmm. uh, and and very similar to our plight here and in mm-hmm. what we're facing. Even um, with completely different reimbursement models. All way, different Because we're not critical access, but it just goes to show how the challenges that rural hospitals face are not only, well, if it's not based on reimbursement model, then maybe that tells us none of the reimbursement models work, <laughs> right? <laughs> if it doesn't necessarily um, yeah. make the difference and we're still all facing these same yeah issues of sustainability. But um, as JJ alluded to, and uh, as a little behind the curtain for our listeners, um, I connected with David because on the kind of internal membership forums for the National Rural Health Association, there was a discussion about um, some funding and some legislation. And he uh, posted this very impassioned, almost if it was in person, I would have called it like the best stump speech for rural health that like I've ever heard (laughs) that just really was um, very... um, you had a sense of urgency about that post that you put up that really spoke to me. And I was like, this is our people, <laughs> you yeah, know, and yeah. what we do here as well. Um, and so to JJ's point, I mean, you are out there fighting the good fight and trying to bring this message forward. And, um, you know, what a great opportunity to connect and to help other rural hospitals see what you're doing and say, OK, you know what, we could try that. We could do this. We could focus on the we need to be disruptors. We hadn't thought of doing it in this way or that way, mm-hmm. um, I think, is so important. So I really appreciate your uh, your conversation and engagement, mm-hmm. because that truly is why we're here today. And I have a feeling this is the beginning of a very uh, nice, Absolutely. long relationship Absolutely. <laughs> between uh, between yeah. us and our hospital and, and you and your hospital. Well, we have to work together. And we've learned that in this industry most recently. Um, there are big health systems that would love to see us close. Oh, yeah. uh, we know that. And they would capture those covered lives. And I'm not going to say they would get the best care. So with that, David, I want to, again, thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. It's been a pleasure to learn from your perspective and your seat as a chief financial officer for Critical Access Hospital. So thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Thank you. My pleasure. And before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Uh, we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or just one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? I don't know if it's unique to rural life. It's certainly an eye-opener in Kansas. I've been in town a little while and looking to take some stuff to the landfill. and stopped one of the guys I work with. I said, well, where's the landfill? I said, So we just down the highway. Head east. Right after the top of the of the steep hill, you turn right. Can't miss it. Can you? <laughs> you know how flat Kansas is, right? <laughs> right. Three miles down the road, I still haven't seen a steep hill. <laughs> I was two miles past it. <laughs> <laughs> a ten foot hill. 
That's Kansas. I come from Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a little bit of a rise in the road. (laughs) Well, I've enjoyed our time together, David, and I wish you nothing but success uh, in your role uh, for your community, uh, your employees, but most of all for your patients. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.